Hello, sailors, and welcome to another episode of Offshore Sailing and Cruising with Paul Trammell. Well, I've got a great interview for you today with Tom and Kelsey Bohannon. I met them in the Ragged Islands last year in the Bahamas. That's way in the out islands of the Bahamas. And they were on a Corsair 28. That's a small little high-performance trimaran that you can fold up and trailer. So I thought it was a very odd boat to see that deep in the Bahamas. I had to go over and talk to them, and I'm glad I did. Uh, they not, not only uh, live in Colorado and sail that boat uh, all over in the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean, but they also did the race to Alaska in the boat. If you don't know about the race to Alaska, it's a really cool race where you can use any boat you like as long as it does not have a motor. And they sail from uh, somewhere in Washington State up to uh, Alaska, up to Alaska. So it takes, um, I don't know, a few days. And it's only sail, It's only boats that are non-motorized. Some people do it in a little rowboats, and some people do it in nice sailboats. Uh, and a lot of people do it in boats like trimarans with oars attached or uh, propellers, uh, bicycle-powered propellers and such. Anyway, it's a cool race. It's a great interview. Stick around for it. Before we get started, I want to thank everybody who's been supporting through Patreon. If you're a regular listener, please consider supporting through Patreon. I would not be able to put on this show without it, and the expenses are always climbing as technology improves and uh, there's always more options of, of ways to spend more money on the show and make it better. So the more you donate, the better the show gets. Uh, please consider supporting. There's a link at the top and bottom of every page of my website, paultrammell.com. And while you're there, you can check out the podcast show notes page. I've got photos of from all the podcasts, including this one, including Tom and, and Kelsey's Trimoran uh, Tarmigan and links that are associated with every show, all on the podcast show notes page at paultrammell.com slash podcast season six. You'll also find the Offshore Sailing and Cruising store where you can buy all sorts of cool products with the OSC label on it. You'll find a link to JB Langley. Thanks for their support, makers of the Altus rain jacket, which I wear and love. It's my go-to foul weather gear. Uh, and you can get a 25% discount. That's right, a 25% discount shopping at J.B. Langley by using the discount code TRAMMELL25, T-R-A-M-M-E-L-L-25. Find that at jblangley.com. And thanks again for their support for the show. You'll also find a link to Cruising Solutions. They've got all sorts of cool products, and there's a, a discount code there as well, TRAMMELL5. Those are both found at paultrammell.com. Just click on Sailing Podcast in the menu. Thanks also to Predict Wind for their support, not only weather forecasting and weather modeling, but weather routing. Thanks to SignalMate for their support, makers of navigation lights. And thanks to Blue for their support, makers of tankless dive systems. I've been using the Nemo to clean one flower saw. Find them at diveblu3.com. Also, check out my latest novel. You can find it on my website. It's a thriller called Until They Bury Me. And you can read the first four chapters on the website. Just click on Until They Bury Me in the, in the menu of paultrammell.com. And check out my other podcast, Dream Chasers and Eccentrics, where I interview anybody I like, not just sailors. All right, enough about me and all my stuff. Let's get right to the interview. This is my interview with Tom and Kelsey Bohannon. Tom and Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. Absolutely. Uh, it's been, um, gosh, it's been since March, I think, since we saw each other. I th if I'm not mistaken, it was Buena Vista Key. Is that is that where I, I ran into you guys in the Ragged Islands? Yeah, that's that's I think, right. I think that's right. I remember 
I remember your boat and stuff, but I, and I think that's where we were. We weren't all the way down at the end of the chain. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We were just, we were just heading up at the time and um, passing through there. Yeah. You guys are going the opposite direction. Yeah. I think we went that's to right. Flamingo Key next, which was pretty fantastic. Nice. Um, yeah. We yeah. really enjoyed the raggeds a lot. Um, it was the highlight of the trip for me, for sure. Yeah. I think me too. Absolutely. What did you guys uh, like about it? What was the highlight of the Ragged Islands for you guys? Oh. Well, I mean, that was the only place I went to the Bahamas um, on my trip. So I I was kind of lucky. But, um, yeah, it was just nice. I mean, how remote it is. I think we're always kind of trying to seek out those places that are a little more um, removed and um, so it was nice how remote it was, but then there was still like a few cruisers down there to hang out with and everybody who was down there was kind of on the same page that nobody wanted to hang out in uh, Georgetown. So oh, there was right. a little bit of connection over that. Everybody is glad to be out of Georgetown. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a, it's not a necessary or evil, but everybody stops in Georgetown, I think at some point. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I typically try to avoid. I was down there for three Sorry, go ahead. I typically try to avoid Georgetown just because it's there's so many people there. That's yeah. not what I go to the Bahamas for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you just make a, you just have a mini Georgetown down there, like the what was it, Hog Key, where everybody goes for drinks on the right on yeah. the beach. I felt like was like the micro version of Georgetown that was like I could handle it because there was only twenty people. Yep, and uh, yeah, I. Th- I I heard something about Georgetown uh, closing part of the Anchorage. Making well, it part I've heard of the that. National and Park. Yeah, and they've got moorings there now that I'm not sure how many uh, I read. Yeah, they're going to need but, like 400, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe close to the cut there where people go in. It was great for us because it gave us a chance to reprovision and get water and change crew. That happened. Nice. My wife came down for a week or so, and we changed change crew twice. Change crew twice there, yeah. Good, so. good. Yeah, I had to I had to leave my boat in the Bahamas last year, and I left it at Emerald Key, Emerald Bay mm-hmm. Marina, mm-hmm. just north of there. Yeah, so was, I I have not been to that marina, but I heard it's nice. It's a nice marina. They get a lot of surge though when there's a swell. Um, there's the boats rock up and down and back and forth, so you need a lot of fenders and a lot of lines. Yeah. Yeah, but, but otherwise it's it's um you know it's fairly nice. Yeah, well, good. So right. so tell me about your boat, Tarmigan, Corsair, uh, Trimaran. Yeah, is that right. It's a Trimaran. Uh, it's twenty eight feet long. It's was built by Corsair in two thousand. Uh, it is a fair. That's when Ferrier Ian Ferrier was still with the company, and he's the he's the designer of and the main force behind folding and trimarans really everybody's copied him the dragonfly etc well that's not exactly true but he was the first to, to make a really good folding trimaran and that's what it is uh uh you know it folds down to street legal on the trailer it only weighs five thousand pounds so it's easy to pull and it's long uh but it's not so heavy so mm-hmm. we tow it around and We've had it since 2011, and have been lots of places all 
about not everywhere you can drive to, but a lot of all, all four corners of the United States now with the Bahamas being the fourth. Yeah, everybody oh, yeah. laughs that we live in Colorado or they live in Colorado because there's no sailing there. But if you don't mind a two-day drive, it's actually really central to a lot of uh, cruising yes. grounds. Central to all the sailing in America. Yeah, it is. That should be a new line. <laughs> yeah. Where did you go in the Northeast? Uh, we've been up there three times with the boat. But our, our biggest trip is we put in in Cape Cod and sailed up to Maine and spent, well, we went, and when we went to Maine for three months during COVID when we had to stay in the States. But we made it all the way up to Broadoor Lakes in Nova Scotia. Cool. Uh, and uh, West, yeah, stopped at Bedeck. I know you've been there. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, I had always thought, oh man, the Broad Door Lakes, that's going to be the, like the ultimate cruising destination. And what, then I get there and everybody goes, oh no, you have to go to Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I go, oh no. And I see that I do have to go to Newfoundland also. Um, but, yeah. uh, why not? You'll so probably that's be where we went. You'll probably be the first Corsair to make it to Newfoundland. Yeah, probably. Here's the beauty of it, though, is, uh, you know, we sailed pretty much downwind from Cape Cod to Beck and Nova and Broad Lakes, and then flew back to uh, Cape Cod, got the truck and trailer, drove it up and went home. So we didn't have to go all the way back uh, in the boat. We just put it on the trailer and went back to Colorado. Oh, so you drove from Cape Cod to Bedeck and picked up your boat? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah we, so they just oh, did wow. a one-way trip. We just did a one-way trip from Cape Cod to Bedeck. That is boat. nice because it's tough coming back. Yeah, coming back is you know, it was great going there because just having that wind behind you consistently. And, yeah. Uh, now that makes so anyway that worked out well and that yeah was our, that makes for an advantage a big advantage because I I loved going to Newfoundland but the most difficult part of it was you know sailing all the way back to Florida. You know, I bet that was hard tough. by yourself. Yeah. Oh, I didn't Oof. get back until you know November or something. Oh, and I left. And I when, left Newfoundland in um, and at, at the end of August. Yeah, two months. Jeez Louise, so it took a yeah, while. I mean, I, I mean, I I did kind of detour to go to the the Annapolis boat show, but it's that's how it is coming back. You have to you have to sit and wait in a in a safe port as while terrible right. weather goes by and wait for the couple of days of, of wind where you can go south and then you take it and go to the next spot and sit there and wait again over right. and over. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's a good way to get to know the coast, though. I mean, <laughs> That's true. It's a yeah. good way to pass the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, are, what are offshore passages like in, in your trimaran? In, in Tarmigan, they can be pretty boisterous. Uh, we try really hard to not go out and be out in anything much more than 25 knots if we can avoid it. Uh, uh, it's fast. Um, you know, our top speed's just under 17 knots. Uh, Whoa. We cruise, uh, you know, if everything's, you know, if everything's right, uh, 10 to 12 knots is pretty reasonable. Wow. Comfortable. Wow. In the right conditions. But in big open ocean swell, if you're going into it, uh, you get a lot of spray. We don't have any kind of dodger or anything like that. So, yeah, it's pretty. It can be pretty wet. What do you what, what do you wear? Like you're say you're you're in cold weather and it's going to be wet. What 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 kind of uh, foul weather gear are you wearing? 
I actually, I right now I have fishing waders is what I've been wearing, and that's what I wore yep. in the race to Alaska. But I think I'll get some some real fowlies because, yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think the fishing waders are really the best choice. They're nice and okay. waterproof, waterproof, but yeah. yeah, apparently if you were to fall in the water, like. <laughs> it just be hard to move around like you're not going to sink but you just can't really swim if they fill up with water so <laughs> yeah it'd be like dragging Probably around a, sea not anchor. a good choice. You're like a human sea yeah anchor you'd want to be able on. to yeah exactly not easy to ditch quickly if the straps are next to your skin basically and you yeah. got coats and everything life jackets and yeah and then the yeah the the feet part, you know, they've got these neoprene feet, so you, you have to wear a particular kind of, like, I can't wear boot my sea boots with them, and, yeah, but they're good, they're real super waterproof, so they're good for that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't fall in. Yeah. What about you, You can Tom? say that a lot, about a lot of things. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you yeah. wear, Tom? I wear, uh, I wear pretty traditional bibs and a heavy offshore, uh, what is it, Mustang survival coat. Mm -hmm. uh, foul weather gear and boots and then mm -hmm. sometimes we wear goggles if the spray is really bad just to, <laughs> so you can see Key goggles <laughs> see yeah well they're just uh, welding goggles you know just uh ski goggles basically yeah okay yeah yeah but that works pretty good i like that, that combo because if there's so many situations where you need to ventilate uh quickly and then close up quickly so the foul weather pants and coat seem pretty good for that mm -hmm. how um i mean is the corsair designed for offshore use and you know how safe is it out there well you know that's a good question it no to answer your question no it's not designed for offshore use and farrier did not recommend it you know that being said uh they have circumnavigated and there's actually one, a 31-foot Corsair that did the Northwest Passage. Uh, oh, wow. Jeez. From, from Norway. They were Nor three Norwegian guys, I believe. Yeah. I haven't looked much into that. And they, they kicked ass on it. You know, they fast and they were safe and kind of an uneventful wow. <laughs> passage for them. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Well, yeah. I'm not sure if they did this, but... I, there was either them or another Corsair that was up there had that had one strategy of kedging the boat across the ice. If they came to a, a flow that they needed to really? get to the other side. Yeah. You, huh. you know, ice screws or, or whatever. They have a windlass or something. They use and then you just winch it. Oh, the hand winch. Yeah. And although they may have had a windlass, yeah. but they're light and they can, you know, they could, skid the car across the right kind of ice okay. without damaging the boat it, does the corsair have any sort of keel or, or dagger boards or it's got one dagger board in the center right behind okay. the mast All and right. so, so it draws about four and a half feet with that down and 18 inches with nothing down okay so you can just pull that up and <laughs> yeah and, and it would just sit yeah. flat on the ice and just sit flat on the ice, yeah, and you know it's kind of a flat bottom, and it would just sled itself yeah. across. Just slide right. I don't know the if they actually did it or not, but that was the legend that. Uh, yeah, I wonder if you could just around. sail across the ice if it was downwind. <laughs> yeah. You had to mount mount some um, Get some skates on it. Some skates on it, yeah. <laughs> There's an adventure for you. Just cross yeah. the whole. Right. Yeah. Of course, there. Be the first to do it. 
Mm-hmm. But you guys haven't done like very much offshore stuff. No. But, like you, we crossed the Sea of Cortez because oh, they've cool. gone to Baja. So, but that's just like one overnight. That's one overnight. Yeah. yeah. You know, getting over to the Bahamas was probably, you know, we, we had reasonable conditions for that. Coming mm-hmm. back, it was rough um but and wet but the boat held you know it's the typical story the boat's fine it's just the people that are yeah, trouble, okay. so. yeah and i still get seasick on it once in a while mm. yeah oh yeah that happens so, so lively so anyway. where where else did you guys go in the bahamas well it, yeah, I, yeah i was there for three months and I'll tell you, and you'll find this, I'm really bad about remembering names. But uh, the first month we went from Key Largo, uh, essentially to Georgetown. We went uh, across to Bimini and then to the north end of Andros at uh, Morgan's Bluff there and down the coast of Andros as far as Andros Town and then across to Warwick Wells, basically, Mm -hmm. uh, down to Georgetown. That was the first month. Yeah. Second month. Was, then I got on. Was, was Kelsey. And we just went straight to the Ragged's pretty much. Mm-hmm. And just island hopped all, all the way on to the end, Ragged Island. Duncan Town. Duncan Town, yeah, which was cool because have you been there? I've not been to Duncan Town. I've been to Hog Key. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so Duncan Town is, maybe you've seen it on the charts, but there's like this long kind sure. of dredged canal Mm -hmm. to go into the inner harbor where the dinghy dock and stuff is through the mangroves and um ptarmigan could you know because it draws so little we went in there and cool and anchored up amongst the fishing boats and it yeah the canal was really cool we only had like four feet to spare probably on either side of the boat mm-hmm. um because it's so narrow but it was it was cool to be in there close by you know a lot of other people have to dingy in so sure yeah. yeah i mean your boat can go a lot of places i can't go like i can't like andros the entire island of andros is off limits to me yeah yeah um, and it's a cool spot although well i'll tell you but I, but yeah uh, duncan town great yeah, there was a hell of a blow while we were in there, and we were in this tiny little protected pond, anchored in about eight feet of water. And oh, nice! Uh, yeah, and it was just howling outside, and we just walked around. We went and played in the mangroves with the paddleboard. That was good. Oh fun. yeah, that was cool. We took the dinghy and the and the paddleboard into the mangroves, but we didn't quite time it right with the tide. It started to get pretty shallow, so we had to to bail before we got to the end but there's like a really long network of um channels that going through the mangroves and we saw all sorts of cool stuff miles and like miles little baby sharks i think the mangroves yeah. are kind of nurseries for yeah a lot of animals a lot of turtles, turtles everywhere yeah on the paddleboard it was windy enough we took an umbrella on the paddleboard and when you were going downwind you could just hold the yeah. umbrella and paddleboard would take off <laughs> turn it one way or the other Nice, like Mary Poppins. Yeah, the original foil board, wing foiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Did you guys yeah. do any any diving, snorkeling, free diving, spear fishing while you're there? Yeah, we did a lot. Um, I was super psyched to do it because I, you know, I'd spent some time um, 
on boats as a kid, but I wasn't doing any spearfishing, you know, my dad was, but I was too little. So I was, <laughs> I was super psyched to be learning about that and, and doing it. And it's cool in the, um, the Bahamas, the rules about the spear guns, how you can only use the pool spear or the Hawaiian sling. Cause I don't know. I just found those to be really fun and challenging to try to learn how to use those. Um, and yeah, we don't have refrigeration on term again. We just have a, a, a cooler, but no ice or anything. And so that was very motivating for us. We would go almost every day because we, other, if we didn't go fishing, we would just be eating beans and rice for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. So that was our way to get fresh food. Um, and yeah, it was super fun to learn and just spend more time in the water. And just in the few weeks that I was there, you just good. Just learning about the different fish, you know, the different habits and habitats and like figuring out how to hunt different fish in different ways, I thought was super cool. I'm fascinated by all that. Exactly what you just said, uh, learning about the different species of fish and how to, how to get them, you know, how to ambush them. And yeah, right. It's, uh, it's fascinating. What, what um, kind of fish did you get? Well, I, I mean, the easy always got trigger fish, right? Because they're pretty easy. Um, Those little French grunts. Oh yeah. You know, if we didn't couldn't find anything, if we couldn't get anything else to eat, we could. Yeah, always plenty French of them. Grunts. <laughs> yeah, we got a couple of lobsters in the beginning, mm -hmm. um, and then I, right at the end, I finally got a grouper, which I was excited about because I hadn't cool. hadn't got one of those yet, and that was I've been using the pole spear, and I told myself before I left I wanted to get one with the Hawaiian slang and it took a few days of missing and but I finally got the grouper with the Hawaiian slang so that was super exciting for me yeah absolutely did you see many sharks yeah, yeah. we saw quite a few <laughs> sharks yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's plenty of them too in the right especially in the raggeds yeah, yeah. we know well dad had kind of a a interesting experience <laughs> i was glad i wasn't in the water we were just anchored and he went for a swim wasn't even fishing or did you have your mask on uh mask on? i think i did yeah, right around the boat right yeah, yeah and we'd seen them before then they had disappeared and so he went for a swim and then they showed up and he was i guess swimming back to the boat and the shark like swam i was still on the boat watching and laughing <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and the shark swam right underneath him and yeah it was it like came closer than i thought it yeah was. definitely was between me and the boat you know and i was wow i don't have enough experience you know i've heard some on your podcast about people get so comfortable with them and they've seemed to understand when they're safe and when it's time to get out and mm -hmm. This business about poking. I've never poked a shark before. That's yeah, but I would if one was well, coming Well, yeah, I know. But I just get out as soon as they show up. And I would like to uh, be poke. better at yeah. knowing when you don't have to run. And, 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 yeah, know. absolutely. That's that's important information. Um, <laughs> there's there's a couple of, uh, of, of podcasts where, like anything with Stephanie, Freediver stuff, um, 
that's I have not heard hers, but I really want to listen. To yeah, I've interviewed her to... once on on offshore sailing and cruising, and, and another time on on Dream Chasers and eccentrics. And on the on the second podcast, we talk almost ex- exclusively about spearfishing uh-huh. and sharks. And yeah. then if you go way back to the beginning, maybe it's like episode four or something of this podcast of offshore sailing and cruising. You'll there's an interview with Jim Abernethy, who is a shark yeah. diver. And all we talk about is sharks and how to read their behavior and how to know, mm-hmm. you know, when they're when they're being aggressive and, and when they're not. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because I've seen lots of I mean, I feel like a lot of people who are kind of environmentalists or ads or whatever, you know, they're trying to um, change the public perception of sharks and that they're not so scary and they're not aggressive and. And you see a lot of shark divers that, you know, swim with them and touch them and everything. And, and it's cool. And, and I also think that people shouldn't be too afraid of sharks, but when you're fishing, I think it totally changes the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I noticed in the Bahamas and I'm sure anywhere that there's sharks and fishermen is that the sharks get habituated and, It's just like any other wild animal, you know, I live in BC right now. And so it's the, it's really similar situation to bears where Mm -hmm. their bears aren't naturally dangerous to humans, but once they get habituated to being fed, then it, it, you know, they can get aggressive and the same with, they know that these fishing boats are checking fish heads overboard. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they know that spear fishermen are going to wound fish, and then that's an easy yep. meal for them. Yeah, yeah, that's all abs- absolutely true. And and yeah, and, and you got to keep in mind uh, that sharks kill people every now and then. Somebody died in the Bahamas this year. Really? Was really? A, yeah, a paddleboarder. We're not even fishing. It was somebody on a paddleboard. I don't wow. know the whole story, but I saw the news briefing, and um, hmm. it happened. It happened off Nassau. It was just wow. a two two tourists were paddleboarding. And one of them got bit by a shark and, you know, got, got, somebody saw her, saw it happen, like a lifeguard yeah. or something, saw it happen. And uh, went out there in a boat and recovered the body, but she was, uh, she bled out. Too, yeah. too late. Jeez Louise. Yeah. So it's important to, you know, while, while most of the, you know, media about sharks these days is that they're, they're wonderful, beautiful creatures and you shouldn't be afraid of them. You really should be afraid of them, but. <laughs> <laughs> You, know, should, I mean, you should have, have respect that, for them. Have yeah. that healthy, that little bit of healthy fear. You know, I mean, I, mm-hmm. not not so much that you don't get in the water, but yeah, but you got to respect yeah. them. And then the other thing that's all it's just crucial is to to know how to behave because if you yeah. freak out, if you see one that's not being aggressive, and all of a sudden you freak out and start splashing and running away, then just yeah, like a dog, no, they're right. gonna they're gonna react the same way a dog does when you try to run away from a dog. Yeah, they, yeah. they chase, they chase, and mm-hmm. they might. And if it's a big shark. If it just nips you once, that could be it. Yeah. You know? yeah. 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 Just, like a, just like a dog might chase you and nip you on the leg while you're running away. If a tiger yeah. shark yeah. does that, you're, you might die. Deal. Yeah. 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 It's not a, that's not likely a good what thing. happened. You know? They might have been paddleboarding, yeah. saw a shark, panicked, out. got yeah. bit once. Because the shark didn't eat her. It just right. yeah. it was bitter. Right. I don't think that's, yeah, usually why they attack. But it's crazy because yeah. I've been. Um, since coming back after the Bahamas, I've been um, kind of trying to build up my 
kit for spearfishing and snorkeling in BC, which is a lot more expensive than <laughs> the, your kit for the Bahamas. The wetsuit is really uh, yeah um, expensive, but I see I watch a lot of videos and stuff of people spearfishing around here, and it's just so funny. It freaks me out because people will spear the fish and they'll just brain it bleed it and gut it just while they're sitting while there they're in the water, water just floating and yeah, it, i don't like, do that my instinct is like get out, get out of but the water so there's no yeah. shark issues well, you, in you, you, there's a couple of different kinds of sharks but i don't think they're really rare to see but i would still be a little worried about the sea lions because the sea lions can get really aggressive too yeah that's a good point yeah you yeah. definitely don't want to do that anywhere where there's barracudas yeah because they'll, they'll yeah. hurt you too you know, they'll, they'll come after yeah, the they'll, fish. They'll bite the you classic, trying to get yeah, the, the fish. The, the classic way to get bit by a barracuda is to be cleaning a fish in the water. Okay. I've, uh, I've given more than one fish that I shot to a barracuda just because I, you know, I said, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you, it, it was so intimidating as I was trying to get back to the dinghy, you know, it was a long swim. Yeah. Uh, better to give up your fish than to, you know, have, have, a, pro have a, a worse problem, you know. Yeah. I yeah. Think. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a, yeah. No, there's too many stories. There's a story about a guy getting killed by a barracuda in Spanish wells in the Bahamas. Oh, gosh. Really? I didn't, I don't know. Yeah. That. Bit him in the abdomen and he eviscerated in the water and died before anybody could get, wow. get to him. Jeez. I imagine he yeah. was, he must have been spearfishing, huh? Yeah. He was probably holding a fish. Probably. Yeah. Probably had it, you know. Yeah. Because one strategy, is to hold the fish up close to your body and that's supposed to mm. make sharks think twice about taking it but the problem is what, so what, what just happened if 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 something tries to take it right out of your abdomen or right out of your mm -hmm. yeah holding it close to your body you're going to get bit yeah and, you and know, those and animals move so fast yeah barracudas hit like at 50 miles an hour that's that's the way they fish they they bolt yeah. Right. With their mouth open and, and hit and cut, you know, cut their prey in half. Or Huge kill it. teeth, yeah. Yeah, and then come back and pick up the scraps. And I've you know, I've seen it I've seen it happen. They can yeah. very quickly and efficiently cut a fish in half. I know, me too. This this one that I gave to the Barracuda is strongest in my memory. I, I let the fish go, it was a trigger fish, so very tough skin. Yeah. And the Barracuda just swam up very slowly, opened and closed his mouth on the fish, his flesh split in two. And then he went and ate one half, and then he went and ate the other half, wow. and then he kept following me. Yeah, that's amazing because you yeah. can't like a like a sharp fillet knife won't cut a trigger fish. Until... Oh no, no, you know, and the what there was no struggle or anything, just bit right through him. Yeah, that's what I've seen happen as so, well. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so all right. Well, what's don't get let's, bit. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> let's talk about the race to Alaska. Um, I'm I'm really intrigued by that race. Uh, can you describe the um, the setting and the rules and the route? Uh, go ahead. I'll let Kelsey yeah, start. Sure. Um, I think you know a little bit more about its history than I do, but um, basically it's a race from Port Townsend, Washington, which is kind of right near the border uh, or the northern, northern end of those islands. San Juan Islands there. Um, and then... To the finish line is in Ketchikan, Alaska. So you start and finish in the U.S., but most of the race is in B.C. Um, and you have, first, there's two legs, and the first leg 
leg is to Victoria, which is how many miles? 50 miles. 50 miles across the Strait of Juan de Fuca, which is... Um, Open Pacific Ocean. Yeah, it's known for being pretty... Can be rough, can be unpredictable. Weather can change quickly. Lots of current. Lots of current. In the whole race, there's um, a lot of current. Like that whole coastline of BC has tons of um, islands and narrow channels and um, long inlets and things like that. So the and it, it's a big tide, so the currents can get really strong. Um, and then the the only rule of the race is that you can't have a motor on your boat. So it's kind of a cool adventure race because people enter all the way from sailboats to um, sea kayaks and everything in between. And a lot, a lot of people, like last year, there was a couple of guys doing it in a, one of those Hobie um, kayaks with outriggers. And they had like little foot pedals, but they also had a sail. And so people, that's like, the, I think the coolest part of the race is that people enter in like this huge range of different kinds of boats. Mm -hmm. um, and some people go only human power. Um, they'll just paddle or pedal. Um, but a lot of people, like there's a lot of sailboats, but a lot of even the human power boats rig some kind of sail or find a way to catch the wind somehow. Yeah, at least and all umbrella, of the right? sailboats. Sorry? I said, at least bring an umbrella, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah that's right. <laughs> and all of the sailboats have human propulsion systems set up of every, oh, yeah, yeah uh, you know, everything. Very few. There's no real commercially available system. So most, well, there are, though. There are. Some people More adapt. Recently, people have, you, you can buy a system, but. And some people do that, but most people build their, build own. their own, which is another cool part of the race. Cause you like, you walk around the dock beforehand and everybody's engineered some different way of most people use bike pedals Pedal drive. in some yeah. fashion, but their whole drivetrain and propeller and like everything, they, everybody's put it together in different ways. Mm -hmm. Cool. And what did you, did you guys do it on, on Ptarmigan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did it on Ptarmigan in, in uh, 2018, mm -hmm. and uh, my wife and I had gone to the start in 2017 because I was I was like you, I was fascinated by the race. It started in 2015, and so we went and watched the start in 2017, and, and it was just fantastic. The vibe is really good. The, everyone's super psyched to be there. Uh, everyone's kind of the same mind same kind of people you know that are out there doing it whether you're on a sailboat or a or a kayak uh so we went and watched it in 2017 and then 2018 we got kelsey and i spent most of the winter before yeah, so before I, the race getting the human propulsion systems built yeah i just graduated uh, college in December of 2018. So, and we were going to do it the next summer. So I came home after December, that. 2017, actually. Oh yeah. December 20. Yeah. December, 2017. And so I came home and spent, um, the like winter spring at home, building the propulsion system and getting all the stuff ready. And then we did the race that, that summer. And what yeah. was the human propulsion system? 
We had, um, well, we used, we bought or borrowed. Borrowed. Well, actually, we were sort of inherited <laughs> a rowing, two rowing stations that were built for a slightly smaller Corsair for a 27-foot boat. For a previous race. From a previous race. And they were just like these wooden frames that kind of strapped onto the tramp between the main hull and the amas. And they had like a sliding seat on them and, and a huge oar. So you'd have to have one person on each side um, and you'd just be doing one. Double oar. handing a 14 mm -hmm. foot oar, I believe it was. Wow. Yeah. And then we also built um, a pedal powered propeller system, which we mounted on the cross beam at the back of the boat that connects the, the outer amas to the main hull. And that was just, we we're super lucky because we, in, and my parents live, there's like a community bike, uh, bike fix it shop kind of a thing where people can, they've got all the tools and you go in, you put 10, 20 bucks in the jar and there's somebody there who knows a lot about bikes and will answer your questions and you can use all the tools and they have all these spare parts and stuff. So I met this guy who, who ran the thing called Aaron and we told him what we were doing and he, we spent, we went there every week for a couple of months, months. and he helped us figure out how to put all these bike parts together. I bought a, a model airplane propeller online and, and the biggest chain ring I could find because <laughs> um, we didn't do gears or anything. We just had one gear and um, just rigged up this big, big system with a bike yeah. chain. And <clears throat> wow. Rube Goldberg type apparatus. And Did it work well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it works pretty well like to go from <clears throat> zero to about two knots um if the boat was going faster than two knots there was kind of more drag than like it wasn't helping anymore yeah and so we were really glad we had the rowing system too because if there was a light wind and we were <clears throat> sailing super slowly you could add the oars and get another knot but if you're moving, if you're sailing at one or two knots, we couldn't put the pedal butt drives in and, and they wouldn't help anymore. Yeah. Okay. After two knots, they just drug. Yeah. But we would motor, you know, motor sail air quotes quite a lot with just a, there'd be a tiny little Zephyr, but if you could get two knots out of the oars and the pedal drives, that apparent wind would help a lot, yeah. you know? Was so it, Was it just the two of you? No, there were four of us. Um, okay. That makes more uh, sense. Yeah. Us on the boat. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was very comfortable, really. We had, everybody got plenty of sleep. We had plenty of food. Uh, it was cold, but the other two crew, one was a young woman who was a friend of Kelsey's uh, from Colorado, and then an, an old family friend of ours who's from Scotland. He came, so it was two old guys and two young women, and which was a good balance in terms of, I thought, since yeah. they did most of the hard work. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, and you're yeah. all, you're all adapted well to the cold then, I guess, huh? Yeah. Well, we, uh, we dealt, yeah, that we're from cold. Colorado, so we're used to the cold, but you know, the cold and wet was, we took a lot of, we, Oh yeah. You guys tried are cold to prepare and dry well for in Colorado. Yeah. Super dry super here dry. and super wet there. I mean, it, it rained a lot and there was a lot of um, fog. Like if you were outside in the cockpit, you were wearing your, Ever. your Fowleys. Ever. And yeah. you pretty much only took your Fowleys off when it was your turn to 
to have an eight hour sleep and be in the sleeping bag. Was was navigation a challenge or did you have modern navigation equipment? It's all modern navigation equipment and, and okay. you could use you know, you could use your cell phones for the first half of the race. There was a signal a lot of the time. Um, GPS was allowed. But the navigation is tricky because of, as Kelsey was mentioning, the current uh, and tide effects that are dramatic. Uh, one of the choke points of the race is called Seymour Narrows, and the tides there get up to 16 knots. You know, wow. and that's four times a day. So you've got to time it to get through there. Yeah. Uh, so it's know. kind of this gate that people mm-hmm. will be spread out south of Seymour Narrows, and then they'll kind of pile up at right there. You have to a lot of times you'll have to anchor in for the Six right hours window. If, you, if you're just hit it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So then the, then it'll the tide will be going the right way, and the first group of boats will go through. And then once it switches, then the next people are shut down for the next 12 hours or whatever. Six hours, yeah. yeah. Golly. Um, yeah, so that's cool. It, it, it's dramatic. But you have to do a lot of um, strategizing about which channel to take, which side of the island to go on, um, depending on what the tides are doing. And so we had, like, we and did wind. one that was quite, yeah, and wind, because when you don't have, a motor if there's no wind and you know i think the fastest we could go with oars and pedal drive was you know two or three knots and there's a lot of places where the current can be stronger than that so if there's no wind you're going backwards yeah you mm. just can't do it you yeah just can't do it. What, what was what was what was one of the most challenging moments during that race well, I remember one of the challenge, one of the most challenging parts being, I think we were pretty far north at this point, and it hadn't been, um, it had been like foggy and cloudy for a few days, couple days, and we, I mean, normally Timbergen only has a small amount of solar um, capacity. And that's plenty because usually time begins in Mexico, Mexico. <laughs> um, <laughs> or you have the motor, right? Charging up the batteries. And so after a couple of days with no solar, um, we didn't have enough power to turn on the chart plotter. Oh, no. <laughs> and even charging the iPad with the charts on it was, um, I don't think we were getting that much. So we were spending a lot of time sailing without the chart plotter on and we turn it on just to check we were but of course at the same time foggy so you can't see anything <laughs> so you're sailing through the fog not seeing where you're going with no charts and um, a lot of cruise ships up there too yeah oh, luckily gosh. they blow their horns they so, blow their horns <laughs> but you just hear this horn out in the fog and you, you know you're like, I guess maybe we should tack. Yeah. I think it's over there. <laughs> oh gosh. But there was one time there's a like there's a lot of uh fish farms and oyster farms and stuff up there. And I was on watch. I was at the tiller sailing through the fog with no um electronics on and really thick fog and all of a sudden out of nowhere, right in front of us, you know, maybe fifty feet away, this huge inflatable yellow I don't know, 15 it was a feet high. Wave marking this. It was something for the fish farm. Fish yeah, farm. but it, 
Yeah. It was bigger than a regular navigational buoy, and it just, just appeared out of the fog right there. And we were hailing at a decent clip, and I, you know, I just pushed the tiller over and tacked immediately. But, um, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. That sounds difficult. Yeah, my my first um, experience in the fog was when I sailed up to Newfoundland, and it was it was a lot more challenging than I expected it to be. Yeah, um, it really is, especially when there's sun behind the fog and it's like really bright. Have you ever had that? You're like I don't kind know. Of blinding, but you still can't see. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. how annoying! Well, what well, what about the race was fun? Oh geez, what was what was fun? Honestly, the whole prep for it was super fun. I thought just the the challenge of figuring out a system that would work on our boat, and uh, I really enjoyed that. Doing it with Kelsey was a great experience. The people are really fun, and we made so many friends that year that we still see on a regular basis and talk to and have done other adventures with, uh, including, well, yeah, that's another story, but um when the sailing is good it's glorious and when you of course the sense of accomplishment at the end not having a motor i realized was a big psychological uh challenge for me and having done it without a motor i gave me a lot more confidence in in my abilities as a sailor yeah so that was fun mm-hmm. yeah yeah and also you, the um what was I gonna say? Oh, well, I haven't really done that much racing. Like I did some dinghy racing as a kid. Um, I'd never really I've never really ra- raced big boats. Um, but it was cool for it to be I'm not really that attracted to like buoy racing. Um, but to have it be a long race over multiple days um was cool and there were many times even though it's such a long course where we were within sight of other boats. Um, and we, uh, we were kind of at the front of the pack for most of the race. We ended up finishing fourth. And so, yeah, we had a lot of time where we were passing each other and we could, we were yelling to each other. Yeah. Um, and hollering. Yeah. Sailing down these narrow channels with the spinnaker up and there you see. Crossing tacks with each other. Yeah. The yeah. boat that, they were behind us for a little while and they ended up passing us. I forget the name of that team. Wildcard. Yeah, Wildcard. They mm-hmm. had a black spinnaker. So then they were, when they were coming up behind us, it really felt like a pirate ship or something. Oh, yeah. And and then you'd say, everybody has trackers. So when you have a signal, you can check the tracker and see where other people are. But most of the time, you don't really know. And then you'll come around the end of an island and you'll see that this person went around that side and now suddenly they're right next to you. And and so it kept you motivated to keep trying to yeah. to sail fast. That happened to us right at, the fin- right at the finish. We um, went around one side of an island and unbeknownst to us, our closest competition was right on the other side. And we came out at the top and all of a sudden everybody looks over and goes, holy shit, there they are. And yeah. they were saying the exact same thing, looking at us. Holy shit, there they are. And we beat them by three minutes uh, wow. after a seven-day race. So Yeah, wow. it came down to just uh, the human power. Like, of course, at the, the last 10 miles or something, the wind died. So we're all just... Busting a gut trying to, you know, because these guys, they were 
we're doing the same thing. Yeah, trying to pedal faster. (laughs) (laughs) That does sound like fun. Um, Yeah. After seven days, though, it's got to be it's got to be you know tiring and cold and and um, yeah maybe getting old. I'm wondering when when you got to the finish line, were you like ready to be done, or or was it were you were you having fun and could have gone longer? I would say we could definitely have gone longer. I mean, yeah. Uh, and we actually, I, you know, I felt better on day seven than I felt on day two. I'll tell you that. That's uh, always my of, experience too. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, that said, you know, they greet, you know, everybody comes down to the dock. The town is really supportive. Uh, and so they cheer you on and they, you know, they've got beers and pies and hamburgers and parties and nice. all kinds of activities once you arrive. So it's really fun. That does sound but fun. They're mm-hmm. still like, you know, we weren't eating that good of food by the end. And like in the beginning we had pre-cooked meals mm-hmm. for ourselves, but by the end we were, I don't know, having dried soup packets and stuff and <laughs> and we were running out of water. That was the we other thing. We were running out of water, yeah. That was the challenge, is <laughs> to try to figure out how much water to bring. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to bring too much and weigh yourself down. But if you don't bring enough, you have to stop. Like, there's tons of water on the coast, right? Like, you can go creek. get some out of a creek, but you'd have to stop and blow yeah. up the paddleboard to go ashore and fill the jugs. You would lose a lot of time. And so the last day we were rationing our water to try to avoid wow. stopping wow and rowing <laughs> at the same time huh yeah 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 we each had one one uh, nalgene one liter bottle for the last day and everybody oh. had their bottle drink it however you want it that's all you get so. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> yeah that would make but, me be ready to get go get off the boat and get some water yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well, Kelsey, what are you up to now? I, I think Tom told me you were living on a steel boat and restoring it. Um, yeah, it's actually an aluminum boat. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, we're living on me and my partner are living on it in Victoria, BC. Um, but it's all just it's all um, because of this uh, big idea that my dad has to go uh, do some high latitude sailing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's a dream he's been um, had in the back of his head for year- years, years here, now. Yeah. Go get really cold, you know, not, not just for a week, but for a whole season. Wow. What kind of boat is it? It's a Brandelmeyer design, which is a guy, for, a BC guy. Um, he's Van- made in a- Vancouver. He made, he's made, designed quite a few. Yeah. yeah um, including a, Eric Hesek's boat was, was is it Hesek or Hiscock? You know who I'm talking about? He was yeah. one of the first circumnavigators. Hiscock. Well, I say Hiscock. Hiscock. I might be pronouncing it wrong. But. I think, yeah, that's, I think that's right. But that catch that he went around, was it, I get him confused. I don't know who the gypsy moth, if that was him or some of Chichester. Gypsy moth was Chichester. Chichester. Okay. I forget what Hiscox's boat's name was, but it was the same guy designed it that designed okay. this boat that we're on. Cool. Yeah, so um, it's an aluminum catch, 42 feet, 45, depending 45. on where you measure. Um, and yeah, we, um, you know, my dad had kind of been thinking about 
doing a trip up to the Arctic for a long time. And um, he pitched it to me before, you know, I, I've gone on a lot of, um, he's coming up with trips and adventures to do. <laughs> And he always invites me, which is great. She's my best partner. Uh, <laughs> so he'd been, he'd mentioned it before and thought we should do it. And I had kind of, I'd said, no, I got to do some other, you know, sometimes I feel like I should have a job or something. And, um, but then he mentioned it again when he was up in in Washington last summer, he saw an aluminum boat on the dock for sale and, and it kind of reignited this um, interest in getting a metal boat and going north. And when he mentioned it to me this time, I'd been living in an apartment in the city for not even that long, <laughs> half a year. And I was ready, me and my partner both were ready to... Um, plan a new adventure and that sounded really exciting so we we jumped on board and and decided to do this plan yeah. this big trip here and so the first step was to get a boat and uh we started looking there were only four or five aluminum boats for sale on the whole west coast of north america and um this one was up in prince rupert which is right at the north end of BC right before Alaska and so we looked at one in Port Townsend and then we went up and looked at this one and and decided it was the one in August and um, or maybe late July and so we bought it and then we had a super fun trip in August of bringing it from Prince Rupert back down to Victoria which is kind of the same grounds as the late race to Alaska it's like a 700 mile trip down the coast um, and then the plan is just to spend my partner is in school and I'm doing some studying online. So we're just living on it, uh, um, <clears throat> this winter on a mooring and, um, then we'll spend this winter next summer and next winter, there's like a lot of projects we want to do on it, obviously, and a lot of work to be done to get it ready for some kind of remote uh cruising so that's the that's the short long story that sounds exciting <laughs> what now um where do you live where is the boat it's in victoria bc british right. columbia so yeah. it's, it's got to be awfully cold out there on a mooring yeah it's i mean it's not too bad um i speak in celsius now but it's like uh, maybe gets down to six or seven at night and 10 in the day so it's like 50 45 degrees um warmer okay. when it's cloudy um and it's it's cloudy a lot but not as much as um a lot of people think in the pacific northwest there's a bit of a, a pocket right around victoria so we get the sun comes out at least every two or three days for half a day or so yeah that's um, not too bad it's yeah. not too bad no it's really not they're tough though these guys I, yeah that's that's kind of what newfoundland was like when i was there it was a lot of a lot of temperatures in the 50s Fahrenheit yeah. um, and getting down into the 40s on the colder colder nights. Yeah. And the boat is um, insulated. So it's actually, you know, we're we're doing a lot better and spending a lot less on our um, diesel heater than people in fiberglass boats that don't have any insulation. Our, our boat is actually pretty cozy. That's cool. Yeah. So what's mm -hmm. your route going to be to the Arctic? 
Well, we're not really sure. It's, our thought is to uh, uh, start heading north in the spring, spring, early summer of 2025. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then uh, we haven't totally agreed on how to do it. You know, one idea is to uh, coastal cruise up along the coast of BC, uh, maybe visit Haida Gwaii, which is supposed to be really nice. Um, Glacier Bay is, uh, is kind of on the way, uh, Kodiak Island, Kenai Peninsula, that stuff, or go straight to the Aleutians. We want to try to, you know, I, I hate to, I hate to even, I'm, I worry about jinxing myself by saying, Oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, to the Northwest Passage. We want to position ourselves to be able to do the Northwest Passage if all the stars are aligned when mm-hmm. the time comes. Um, yeah. So we would spend one more getting getting up to Nolaska or potentially Tuktiyaktuk and um, just, you know, take our time to spend a whole summer doing that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, if, it, if everything's going well, the boat's in good shape, we're we're capable and of traveling in the ice and everything like that, then um, the next summer we would be, we would be in position to try for it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Wow. That's a summer, big adventure. Yeah. And we've got a lot to learn and we're, you know, the, the boat needs work. It's an old boat. It's 1984, mm-hmm. but as the surveyor said, she has good bones. So, um, we're we're we feel good about that and you know it'll be an adventure whether we get the whole thing done you know or not uh just getting to know will be an adventure yeah <laughs> for sure then, but we've got a lot to learn ice and weather okay you know all yeah. kinds of stuff it's yeah super super challenging which i like I don't know if you've seen the podcast that came out Monday, but I interviewed Yele Engel from KM Yacht Builders in Holland, and all they do hmm. is high latitude boats. That's, that's all. Oh, the, whole, yeah. the whole episode is about high latitude sailing and high latitude. Oh boats. yeah, again, well, we should listen to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah Dutch boat builders know how to know how to build a good metal boat. I'll tell you that. That's that's all they do at KM. They build custom. Yeah. Uh, they built Pelagic for Skip Novak, and they yeah. they build Best of Ours and stodd ships you know mm-hmm. tough tough looking boats they're yeah they're all, uh, right they're all right. Pretty, pretty solid uh looking boats for sure so solid yeah yep all right so, well um, what what else what else i don't know do you, do you guys have any other any other uh sailing long-term goals or plans or, or bucket list items i mean you got a pretty big one we just mentioned but uh Anything else on your yeah, mind? That, yeah, that's that, going to keep us busy. That's going to keep us busy for a few years. Yeah, I'd um, I've been wanting to live on a boat for a long time, um, and it kind of didn't feel like that possible until I realized that you could do remote work, um, and uh, but. You know, my dad wanting to do this trip and the kind of long-term nature of it, I think, is a good way to to try it out for me. And um, I'd always dreamed of sailing in warmer places, but <laughs> this is uh, 
this is cool in its own way. And, you know, a part of me feels like, you know, the warm places will always be there. So, um, yeah, so I'm feeling, I'm pretty psyched to dive into the, the cold weather stuff for the next few years. And mm-hmm. in the winters, we won't be up there so I can go to Mexico then, you know? Yeah. That's right. We still have ptarmigan for Mexico. Yeah. 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 Take and, the opportunity while you can. Um, huh? most people never get to go up there and, uh, yeah, I'm sure glad I went. Uh, you know, I can't guarantee I'll go back to the north, but um, it was it was the biggest and best adventure of my life so far. So that's see, that's great. Yeah, and I think that's what what this will be, regardless of what happens. You know, if, if all goes well and we get through the Northwest Passage, one of one of my biggest reasons for wanting to do it is I've wanted to cruise the coastal areas of Greenland, some of the fjords in southwestern Greenland. And yeah. That, yeah, that's a hard place to get to, too, especially if you live in Colorado or British Columbia. <laughs> yep. Um, so if if we can get the boat through, uh, then, then we'll be sitting there for that. You know, that would be – the thought would be to put the, put the boat on the hard – during the winter the that we finished the passage in Greenland and then come back in the spring and have the whole season to just spend coastal hopping all right coaling up is, and down is, the coast is there a haul out facility in Greenland yeah mm-hmm. oh, cool. a good one uh oh. it's a town I'm not sure about some of this pronunciation you, yeah you can't pronounce and you and you UK okay <laughs> oh yeah I've seen that uh, nuke is how I read it but I don't know how it's pronounced yeah it's probably Nook or Nook. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you got a gag <laughs> while you're saying it or something. But uh, <laughs> uh, so that's that. I'm going back to Sea of Cortez in end of January this year with Tarmigan. Cool. And, and uh, for a couple of months, and that'll be fun. But what? Most uh, of our focus is on. Sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. I'm I'm curious about the Sea of Cortez. Just briefly, what what uh, do you like about it? Well, it's it's a magical place. It's uh, one of the best things about it is the weather. Um, it's warm, but it's also dry. I, I'm not good with humidity, and so uh, I really enjoy the warm, dry nature because you're basically you know you're sailing along the coast of a de- desert mountains. Uh, on on the Baja side, it's really pretty. Uh, it's the anchorages, or once you learn where to go, we've been there at least six or seven times now over the years. I should have counted, but uh, the anchorages are beautiful. Uh, the water's clear. The fishing is pretty good. It's not as good as in the ragged, but it's pretty good. Uh, uh, for both spear fishing and rod fishing, um, mm-hmm. and the hiking, uh, it, it's not very populated. So there's a lot of sort of wilderness adventure hiking right off the beach, basically. Uh, if you want to go climb these some of these peaks, and yeah, Kelsey's been down there with me several times. The land, I mean, the landscape is amazing. The I I love desert and I love the ocean, and it's really cool to have them right next to each other. And I think it's there. I mean, there's a lot of life on land too, as far as like birds and lizards, but it's interesting the the contrast of the desert 
on land that's kind of barren and then the underwater is you know there's a there's tons of life in the water there's rays and dolphins and sea lions and fish and um i, I think there's even orcas in there sometimes yeah there there's are alienos mm -hmm. humpback whales yeah so that part's really cool and also i just love mexico i love the food and i love the culture and baja mm -hmm. is like got baja's got island vibes like everybody's everybody's super chilled out and yeah um, yeah. Well, has got good tacos. I've, I've, uh, I've very good fish tacos. Taco stands there. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you get the best fish tacos. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I ever go through the canal, I will want to head up to the Sea of Cortez. Definitely spend, yeah. spend a winter in the Sea of Cortez. Yeah. yeah. You should for sure. Yeah. 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 Most people go through the canal and head straight to French Polynesia, but I, I think I would mm -hmm. want to go north and, and, uh, experience the right. Sea of Cortez. Yeah, do a winter there, and then you can still go across the Pacific from from Cabo the next, you know, the next it's, yeah, spring. Yeah, a lot of people do that. Cool. Spend the winter there, and then leave in March or April for yeah for the French Polynesian. Very yeah. good. Well, all right. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about before we go? And any yeah. good stories that are that are dying to come out? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nothing's popping into no, my head. No, there's lots of good stories, but we'll go down a rabbit hole. We'll never get out of if we do that. Well, so. We might have to do another another interview sometime do, then. Do, do another interview, yeah. 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 Good. Well, you guys uh, stay in touch. Definitely, uh, I want to hear about right. your your aluminum boat uh, trip to the Arctic. So yeah, we'll keep you posted and stuff. Yeah. yeah and, it's great. I see you've got your pineapple in the background there. So yeah, I've always You're got in a Panama. pineapple or two. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. All yeah, right. The, the the food the food down here is. I mean the the availability of fresh produce and fruits down here is really good. I um, bet. Yeah. And uh, and there's pretty good fish too. I got a my freezer's full right now. I speared a permit yesterday. A big permit. Oh really? Wow. wow. Yeah. So great. I'm, I'm, uh, so I'm excited about good, that. Huh? Sometimes, you know, it's hit or miss, but every now and then you get something really good. A lot of times I yeah. go out and don't get anything. Okay. But what are the just, regulations in Panama regarding a pole spears versus triggered spears and Um all all I use is a is a pole spear, but you pole. can use you can use spear guns here. You can, um, okay. Yeah, you're not allowed to spearfish on scuba. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Um but uh and uh, and a lot, of the, a, a lot of the locals, a lot of the local uh, Indians spearfish here. You got a lot of uh -huh. uh, indigenous people in, uh -huh. in dugout canoes and you know primitive wow. spears. Wow, um, cool. a lot of them. I mean, every day there's a bunch of them out. You always wow, see them getting, out. That's yeah, that's cool. how they, that's how they eat. And they um, that's they know they know where the lobster are too. I don't know where the lobster are. Yeah, right? good people but to learn do. from probably. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I got to. That's why I study Spanish every day so I can. <laughs> talk more to these talk to them people yeah, yeah nice. all right well it's been great yes. talking to you guys thanks for coming all on right, the Paul. show it's been a pleasure we'll, we'll have to do it again thanks yeah let us know we'll stay in touch and keep you yeah, posted absolutely right. keep keep an eye out for for windflower if you're uh ever yes. in this neck of the woods and i'll watch we yeah we will all right yeah good all right see you talk guys to later. You later bye see you bye bye Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Tom and Kelsey as much as I did. I've got photos of their boat, Ptarmigan, as well as some links 
on the podcast show notes page at paultrammell.com slash podcast season six, or just go to paultrammell.com and click on sailing podcast. Also, while you're there, you'll find the offshore sailing and cruising store where you can get all sorts of cool products with the offshore sailing and cruising logo. You'll also find a discount code to JB Langley. You can get 25% off any clothing from JB Langley, as well as the Altus rain jacket that I'm always talking about. Use the discount code TRAMMEL25, that's T-R-A-M-M-E-L-L 25, when you're shopping at JB Langley. Also on my website, you'll find links to Patreon. If you're a regular listener, please consider supporting through Patreon. I wouldn't be able to put this show on uh, without Patreon support. And uh, the, the expenses are always climbing. There's always something new. There's always some new technology. Uh, there's always ways to improve uh, the sound quality. I'm looking at different formats right now that cost more money. So if you're a regular listener, please consider supporting the show through Patreon. There's a link in the header and footer of every page of my website. You can also support the show by buying any of my books. My latest novel is called Until They Bury Me. You can read the first, first, you can read the first four chapters for free on my website at paultrammell.com slash until they bury me. Also, check out my other podcast, Dream Chasers and Eccentrics, where I am able to interview anybody I want, not just sailors. Thanks to Blue for their support. Makers of tankless dive systems, find them at diveblu3.com. Also, thanks to Predict Wind for their support. Uh, weather routing, weather forecasting, weather modeling, find them at predictwind.com. And thanks to SignalMate for their support. Makers of the world's finest navigation lights, find them at signalmate.com. I've been putting some of these interviews from both my podcasts on YouTube, and you'll also find some sailing videos there uh, from my, my some single-hand sailing videos of myself at Paul Trammell on YouTube. And if you want to follow my adventures, you can find me on Instagram at trammell.paul. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for your support. Until next time, happy sailing and peace out.